You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man, as a two-time felon, I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Freedom Pact. Uh, my guest on the Freedom Pact podcast today is Macklin, uh, an artist, a poet, a thinker, uh, the author of this book behind me here, Providence, which we're going to dive into today. Macklin, it's been a long time coming. Uh, we've been uh, back and forth for a couple of years now, um, but it's, yep. it's, uh, it's amazing to finally have you on the show and, and to be doing this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. And, uh, I remember you reaching out a while ago and it just never came to be. I think I moved out of Los Angeles about the time you messaged me and then two years went by. I got an email from you just, what, two weeks ago now and here we are. Well, these things tend to work out for the best, so I'm glad that we're here. Um, as you mentioned there, you, you know, the, a lot's happened since I first reached out to you in your life and it looks very different now. Um, mm -hmm. and I've got so much I want to get into, um, in this book behind me, but just to, to set the scene for the audience, give everyone a little bit of context. Um, there was one, uh, poem of yours, um, that I thought just teed up this perfectly. It is, um, you say, I'll never sell my soul to be successful but I will give my life to make my dreams come true. And it got me thinking, um, if we flash back a couple of years, you mm. were um, the host of one of the biggest podcasts in the world. Um, you know, you were, you, li you were living in what you described as a very Hollywood house. Um, mm. It's no secret that you, um, you know, you were, you were housemates with, with Logan Paul, uh, one of your longtime best friends. And for mm -hmm. a lot of people, it'd be very, very easy in that position to let their ego run wild, get caught up in that sort of Hollywood fame game and grab at loads of opportunities that I'm sure were falling at your door. And just to reflect on that poem there about, you know, never selling your soul to be successful, but uh, mm -hmm. giving your life to make your dreams come true. When you were surrounded by all that, how did you stay true to yourself? That's such a multi-layered question uh, because I think in that time period, I was in Los Angeles for a little over two years and surrounded by so many social media people that one of their main goals was to promote their personal image online. So in many ways, I had to determine which elements of my personal image I wanted to uh, share with the world, as well as what I wanted to hold back and keep personal to me. So in that fun game of learning who I am on a very public stage, I had a lot of trial and errors that I got to experience firsthand through myself, as well as the, uh, the people around me who were just testing things, trying things, seeing who they are in the moment and, you know, reflecting back on that and getting feedback from either gigantic audience or just the people closest to us. And, you know, staying true to yourself is definitely a, a battle that never stops. Uh, and you don't have to be on a podcast. You don't have to be a content creator. You could just be a human being walking around the world. And uh, I think the one big component that helped me keep everything the way I'd like it to be in my life was that before I moved to Los Angeles, I spent a lot of time really diving deep into myself and doing the shadow work as they call it, or the uh, deep personal healing and understanding self-knowledge path to understand who I was at the core. Yeah. And so I'm packing that a bit. You, you've transitioned from this, you know, this Hollywood household with, you know, all the sort of luxuries and trappings that, that come with being surrounded with, with people mm -hmm. like that, you, you know, you were interacting with, um, you know, very famous people on the podcast. I'm sure there were parties nonstop going on around you and loads of opportunities. <laughs> you transitioned from that sort of crazy environment to a very simple way of living. It was almost like, I think mm -hmm. you described it as just you 
your laptop and wherever you really wanted to go. How did you find that transition from going from one end of the scale to the other? That transition was wild. Um, culture shock is really the way I would describe it. Uh, living in a house, one with five other people is, um, it's a life experience for anyone. So it doesn't matter what's going on. If you move out of a house with six people and you move into a place by yourself, it, there's a lot of commotion. And then all of a sudden it's just dead silence. So yeah, the way I would describe it is culture shock. I had a hard time getting motivated. Um, it felt strange to not be in Los Angeles. I also moved back to, so I'm currently living in Cleveland. Um, I moved back here and it started, the weather started changing and winter was on the horizon. So I went from warm, sunny Los Angeles, California to a cold, dark, gray skies, silent, semi-lonely place. And I do still have friends here and they're great and an awesome support group. Um, but it's just a different pace of life, a lot slower. So best way to describe it is uh, rev your car up, start driving 100 miles an hour and slam on the brakes and see what happens. Is there anything that I know you, you know, you're not, you're not in that sort of lifestyle anymore, as we've talked about, you've made that transition, but there, are there any, are there any lessons that you took from obviously, um, you know, being around, uh, you know, a character like, like a Logan Paul who goes on to just the top level of fame and seeing everything that, that changes with him. And obviously you knew him obviously long, long, long before that. And now are there any mm -hmm. lessons you picked up, um, along the way that stick with you now? Uh, yeah. And I've spoken on this before. I think the big thing is determination and commitment. And, you know, if you want to, if you want to grow, if you want to maintain a world persona, world level persona, you got to work and it's not, oh, I don't feel like it today. And this is the same in any industry, truly. It's just, if you want to be the best, you got to, you got to play the game and you got to play hard and you cannot give up, uh, because, you know, the determination will take you from nothingness to, you know, maybe over the course of two, three, four, ten 10 years, uh, all of a sudden you're at the highest level. And once you get to that point, there's really no turning back. So, um, I think in general, there's so many lessons I learned that it might be helpful if you have like a specific area you, you're interested in, but uh, my learning experience was, it, it's unparalleled. I often think about how few people in the world get to experience what it's like to be adjacent to uh, true fame. And once you get uh, a taste of that and you get a feel for it, one, you get to see how it affects you personally. And then two, uh, you get to make a decision whether or not that's actually the route you'd like to take in life. Yeah, and, and just just jumping on that, um, you sort of, when I was going through um, the comment sections of, of podcasts that you featured on, those who were fans of Macklin, they were very, you know, they were quite diehard fans. They they sort of rode mm -hmm. with you. They, they were, they really wanted to hear more from you. And so you knew that there was that avenue to go down. You could, you know, you could have mm -hmm. kept podcasting and you could have taken yourself to, you know, crazy, crazy heights in the game. But what was it, and you've spoken about this before, that you aren't really interested in sort of pop culture. You aren't interested mm -hmm. in social media fame. What is it about that that you just does not appeal to you that would appeal to so many? Um, well, as far as the pop culture thing, I think daily drama or, uh, you know, hot flash news topics just are so temporary that the lasting impact of kind of talking about those things, uh, isn't necessarily where I see my attention and energy going to. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I have a slower pace of life. I like to dive deep and I like to really dig under the skin of people to try to understand what's going on inside of them. And that's a bit more investigative or anthropological and biographical as opposed to, uh, you know, what's the latest in the YouTube world, which is still interesting. And it's, I still, I, I'm still keeping up to date on all those things because I think this internet medium that we've all discovered is a way to really 
you know, make your impact on the world. I just want mine to be for something that has a little bit more depth or purpose that can uh, do, I guess enter- entertaining is valuable. I think people always need some entertainment to either take them out of their current situation or give themselves something to do, but I like to entertain and um, just create something that, like I said, has more depth, has more uh, substance behind it. Well, this is the perfect time to sort of transition into these copious amount of notes I have uh, on your work in front of me. Um, and I think the best way to transition is, is I wanted to ask you about purpose and how you find that in your art. And mm. I guess the best way to do that and the best visual way is um, there was a video um, where um, it was a viral video where sort of Logan Paul pretended to set fire to your art. And I remember mm-hmm. when I saw that video, it sort of, it, it broke my heart, really. <laughs> just, and and I, I did feel sad because I just saw this sort of, I just saw what it meant to, that, that, that's the most compelling part of that video to me, is I saw what it meant to you. And it mm-hmm. really did break my heart. So on that theme, what does your art and freedom of expression mean to you? My art and my Freedom of expression. I think freedom of expression is almost more important than the art. It's it's the thing that births the art, right? So as far as freedom of expression, I'm a person that has, for my entire life, found ways to take my thoughts out of my head and create them in the world, whether that's through video, photo, uh, painting, writing, you name it. I feel it is my purpose to express what's going on between my ears and bring it out into the world so freedom of expression yes that's like one i am uh i am allowed to do so right like there's nothing stopping me from doing so the second part of that is freedom meaning like free flowing which is uh, a never-ending chain of uh, letting out and letting go and releasing into the world which i find a little bit more powerful because everybody's free to create but we often impose like restrictions on ourselves. So in my mind, my creation, my expressions are a deep meditation into sometimes things that I can't even see within myself. And as soon as I release those and put them out on uh, on a canvas or a page or uh, edit a picture, release a video, whatever that might be, I feel lighter, I feel better, I feel accomplished. I feel like I am activating on the talents that I've developed over the past 15 years. And I know that I have some sort of gift in this world. So if you're not using it, uh, you know, you might as well just, just stop trying. So if you, if you have a gift, you should use it. That's kind of the thing. And you certainly do, man. Like, um, I've mentioned obviously this book behind me, Providence. I, I really, really loved it. And, my sort of uh, my sort of uh, journey into poetry probably isn't as in as depth as uh, maybe yours or typical lovers of poetry out there. I tend mm-hmm. to like um, sort of like shorter poetry. I like uh, Rupi Kaur or uh, Matt mm-hmm. Haig. Um, these types of small but really impactful pieces, which I think really summarizes your 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 work and mm-hmm. Providence. Um, I think the definition you've you've written down for it um, that you've you that you found is the foreseen care and guidance of God and nature over the beings of the earth. Um, what compelled you to to dive into this subject, and why is providence such a powerful word to you? Um, there's so many reasons for this one. <laughs> it's a powerful word, I think, just truly based on the definition. Uh, I like to think that nature or god is whatever whatever it is you believe in i believe there's a higher power i believe there's something always looking out for us and that the road ahead of us no matter which direction we're going is always laid out for us to be uh to to take us exactly where we're supposed to go based on our intentions and our efforts um i you know i'm guided personally by an attempt to live a truly good life and that means good in all the things I 
receive, but as also as well as what I'm putting out. So that word, I came across it maybe, I don't know, maybe four years ago, about the time I started writing the book. Um, and it was actually for a local charity here in Cleveland. I went to a, a charity event and I was just curious about, you know, what Providence actually meant. The charity is called Providence House and they take care of at-risk children in the community. And I just love the word. The definition caught my attention. And I knew that if I could explain how I view the world, where every little thing we come across is some sort of uh, director or guidance to pursuing our true intentions, I knew I could have something really powerful that would help other people see what I see. So that kind of became the mission. And how do you explain what it's like to have a higher power guiding every single thing you do um, in, in the shortest and simplest form that's digestible and quick reads, but also can hit and strike a chord with someone and make them think deeply, even if it's just 10, ten words. So each poem, each poem is a, an attempt at doing that. One of the themes that crops up a lot is um, you touch on consciousness a lot. For someone who may be brand new to this subject, who's thinking, what is consciousness? If you could even attempt to define it, how would you define mm -hmm. consciousness? And sort of what relationship does it have to the sort of surrounding physical world we find ourselves in and we can touch, we can feel? The definition of consciousness is a tough one. I think pretty much every modern philosopher and philosopher of old is really trying to define what that is. Um, in my understanding, I don't know if I could truly explain what consciousness is, but I can say what it means to be conscious. And that is uh, just uh, an awareness of the present moment of all things internal and external in your local area. So the space around you to the best of your ability, uh, receiving all the external stimulus, matching it with the internal stimulus and recognizing how those two are interacting. I mentioned there about the, uh, the physical world and there was, um, one line you wrote, it said, Bill, uh, that we build within an artificial world. We cannot inhabit. That's pretty mm. deep and that's a hard one to get your head around, but how would you sort of elaborate on what you meant by that? That one is uh, about the, the digital world, of course, the ones and zeros. Every day that we add more hard drive space, we're adding more uh, real estate to the digital world. And we keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper and building these mega structures online. However, our physical bodies can never truly touch what is happening inside of those computers. So this part, that part of the book is a bit of a departure from the rest, but it's still important because of, you know, this modern age that we are all spending, you know, anywhere from one hour to some people up to 10 hours a day, just on these screens and phones and computers. And it's a, it's a bit of a lashing out at the digital space. So another really powerful one, um, in this walk-in section of the book, um, uh -huh. you say, uh, you talk about taking the scenic route, uh, to a simple life. And I think personally, I reflect back on that. And I think that for me, um, especially at a young age, I was always very goal orientated. I was very, uh, I had an end vision for everything and I'd sort of set my mind on it and I'd be trying to race through everything and trying mm -hmm. to hit a goal. And um, I can't remember who said it to me. Um, I think it was when I was interviewing uh, Garanga Das, um, the monk, and he was talking mm -hmm. about this idea versus the, the journey versus the destination. And he told me that, you know, we're often rushing to the, the destination to try and get the view that we wanted. We want to get to the peak to see the view, but we forget that a lot of great views can be seen on the way up that we rush past. Um, mm -hmm. So for you taking the, the, the scenic route, um, as you will, how important do you think it is for us in a world that's very fast now? I mean, 
digital media is, you know, you've got to capture someone's attention in 10 seconds or they move on. How important is it for us to slow down? It's all personal. It depends on what trajectory you're on. Mm -hmm. And if you're, you know, something we talked about earlier is if you want to be a social media giant or a internet media giant, Mm -hmm. you got to put the pressure on. And of course, you know, you can dictate that pressure. You can do one a week, you can do one a month, but super high quality. It's same equation we've seen for years and years, quality versus quantity. Um, Some work depending on, you know, what it is the product that you're putting out. So as far as taking it slow, my personal stance is that I know I have these large goals I'd like to accomplish. I knew I wanted to write a book, but uh, I didn't force myself into an exact date on doing that because I never knew when I would feel like I was actually finished. Mm. It only happened on my 27th birthday when I was like, okay, maybe I just say from 22 to 25, this, this is a collection of works that I feel contains a single theme. And in retrospect, as I got to the top of the mountain, I was able to look down at the path I took and say, wow, that was a fun journey. Let me collect all of that and contain it in one single object. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I think the mentality that you had is probably something that was indoctrinated into you. We all have it where it's, you know, you have homework, you have an assignment, you have a test, and then you pass the test. And then because you pass the test, you get to go to the next level. So we have this um, schooling mechanism that teaches us to always, you know, try to get to the next place so we can get to the next level. Um, And then you kind of have to unlearn that after you go, after you finish school, because it's not always that cut and dry in life. And sometimes you don't know what level you're on and you don't even know what level you're going to. But that's why every day, you know, I have some sort of practice with any medium that I work in. Typically, I say that my my artistic medium is every piece of art or every style. Um, so as long as I'm working on that, I'm constantly teaching myself new things and learning new lessons. And eventually, I'll put all those together and I'll understand exactly uh, what my simple life is because I've done all the hard stuff of the learning and now I've mastered my craft and once I've mastered it, yes, it's still difficult to do some of the things I might need to accomplish, but it'll be much simpler for me to do them because of how much experience I have. And on that um, thread of a journey, uh, we spoke b- before we went on air about um, you know the process to, to, to publish in this book and how mm-hmm. it started off as an organic process and sort of made its way to, to the product it is now. Um, but how sort of cathartic was the journey for you in getting your thoughts down on paper because i know you're a, you 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 like to write down physically um i know yep. you've even gone as far as creating your own uh, creating your own notebooks you you believe yep. in in writing down what is it about that sort of process that is so powerful and there we are right in front of us yeah it's it's good um well i mean like i said before it's all a meditation so to go from cutting pieces of paper punching holes in the and 10 of them attaching a little cardboard back and sliding two rings through it, just making myself something that I can express my thoughts in already. It's in itself is, uh, is a way that I can make something that will, uh, encourage me to create more. So I believe in the book. I said it, I hope it's in the book, but every creative expression carries with it, the seed of the next, so any thought I put down, any anything I make, it's just constantly carrying me to the next next thing. I mentioned um, a lesson that I was taught by Garanga Das there. Um, and mm-hmm. I remember he, he spoke to me about another one. And it was on this idea that we need to spend uh, less time uh, searching for things and more time being. Um, I think the example mm-hmm. we were talking about at the time is I'd just spoken to a, a longevity uh, expert named David Sinclair. Um, mm-hmm. I, was te- I was telling um, Garangadas about this, and he said, but the problem with longevity experts or this topic that seems to fascinate and grip so many people is that these people spend so much time trying to figure out how to live forever that they sort of forget to live at all along the way. It's the work-life balance, of course, Mm. you know, that it doesn't matter what your 
pursuit is yes that one is a very direct example and it's kind of the most ironic of them all um but in contrast perhaps they are living a a valuable life yes there are these little things that that scientist might be studying and david sinclair is an amazing amazing researcher and his studies have fascinated me so Mm -hmm. i think if anything his dedication to this craft is his life and because he's living this life and he's the one that's going down every single wormhole and trying to pull out all this information he's bringing it to the rest of the world and saying you know this is something that we can all all learn from um and that's you know that's so valuable for all of us and he might he might be sacrificing himself he might drive himself crazy he might die young because of how hard he studied Mm. but at the end of it you know we can we'll probably find incredible examples of what his research has done in longevity studies. And, you know, people live 120, 130, 150 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I think do your best to live every day, make those little moments. You know, my thought the other day was I should just take Instagram off my phone. Cause every time I go for a five minute scroll, maybe I do that 10 times a day, that's 50 minutes and I'm 50 minutes behind on something else I could have done. I could have been at the beach. I could have been going for a walk, all little slow moments that uh, impact my life in a personal way, as opposed to constantly absorbing other people's experiences. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. Um, This is something I was actually talking about a couple of days ago with with my therapist about uh, social media and why I'm trying um, it's hard because of sort of the nature of, of what we do, but I'm trying to sort of severely cut back or, or at least give it up for a while because what I find is with something like anxiety, um, mm-hmm. social, I think we, we're designed, we're not designed to take in as much bad news as we take in. Um, a good example mm-hmm. I, I, I read of this, I think, I think it was Dr. Phil who was talking about this, but he said that when he was younger, if someone in a different state to him was eaten alive by a crocodile, he probably mm-hmm. would have never heard that that happened. But now he's probably going to see a video of it an hour after it happened online. Mm-hmm. And so we're not designed to to be able to cope with not just our own bad experiences, but every person on the planet's bad experiences all at once. Exactly. That's in the book as well. It's called Instant Digital Empathy. Mm. And it's it goes for the, the low moments as well as the high moments. If you're sharing in people's successes, but you're not a contributing factor or a component to any of that or an accessory or whatever it might be, you don't like you feel for them, which is amazing because it's, you know, it's human empathy. A lot of people have that uh, bar a few people, some do not. Um, but for the most part, if you're looking at stuff online, you see, you know, cute puppy or whatever inspiring tale, it can lift you up. But on the same token, you're going to come across everything you just mentioned, all the horror stories. Mm. And, you know, you can hear about anything from any place in the world at any time, and you can search for it. So sometimes we get caught up in these cycles of, you know, I, I know there's people in the world that love horror movies. I'm not one of them, mm, but for some reason they, they continue to, they continue to seek those out because it gives them some sort of uh, feeling that they've latched onto. So I, I hope that we don't keep going through this spiral of letting others impact our emotions. And the biggest part of this all is the uh, the switching of them and how fast they happen. Mm. Typically, if you heard bad news, you had time to react. But now you're going to hear that bad news of the man being eaten by a crocodile and you're going to scroll down. And you're going to see your favorite sports team win. <laughs> you're you're going to see the, the flexing millionaire with his Lamborghini. You're going to scroll down. You're going to see some hot chick and you're going to scroll down after that and you're going to see who knows what. So the constant switching of emotional states is super damaging. And that's a really, really hard thing to combat. And I think some people can deal with it a lot better than others. I know I certainly personally, I can't, I I, I struggle to deal with it. And so I have to take decisions uh, to sort of design my life in a certain way. And I know you talk about, um, designing your own sort of lifestyle i think uh, mm-hmm. yeah one of the poems um you say that routine will guide me but so will a rut medicine should heal me but so will a cut um i, I love that one and what can you speak to on uh 
designing your own lifestyle and how that's looked for you? This is just a mindfulness practice. This is something that Zen masters might teach. And I, I kind of liken it to uh, some sort of engineer, uh, computer engineering program or software. So one of the things I did, and I still do to some degree, but mostly in college, uh, while I was taking my computer engineering classes, software engineering classes, was I would run programs. I would run my good morning program. And that included doing some breathing, some stretching, some push-ups, drinking water, taking my vitamins, going to the kitchen, washing my face uh, with cold water, and you know this, 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 but it was all laid out. So in the morning, instead of saying, I have 10 things to do, I just ran that executable program of good morning. Um, but in that sense, you know, I had to design what worked for me and that might not work for me if I had to wake up a little bit earlier or a little bit later. So it's constantly changing, but ultimately, uh, I, I'm going to know it's working best for me and I want to make time to do the things that I want to do. So with some element of sacrifice and some element of discipline, you can mix these together and put together a, a lifestyle that actually functions to make me feel like I'm happily living my life. Yes. And on that sort of, what we're talking about designing a lifestyle, I mentioned there about cutting out social media, but I think a big thing for me, especially when I first came out of university, um, I had to really look at the, the circle of people that were around me. Um, mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people fall into this trap of sort of like a, a cost sunk fallacy where they're friends with someone for 20 years and then it sort of becomes apparent to them that this person isn't really serving me. It, you know, it's, it's not feeding me in the right way. It's not pushing me towards who I want to be, but they've been my friend for 20 years. I can't just get rid of them. And I remember mm. think I was in that exact situation coming out of university. And I remember thinking as selfish as it may feel, I think at times you've got to be a little bit ruthless with those things. Mm. Well, again, to bring in the modern age, you know, these relationships we can maintain because of how easily we can connect. So some of the times you have to, you know, look around you and say, well, I only text this person one time, but they're, you know, they cause a lot of stress for me, or we just don't see the same eye to eye, but uh, I still want to like their pictures on Instagram, or I still want to, you know, retweet tweets, whatever it might be. And you feel kind of stuck, but yeah, picking your friends and, you know, it, it can be tough. Sometimes it's worth working out and being honest, like you don't want to just run away from your problems. Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely wouldn't recommend trying to talk a wolf out of eating you. So it, it might work sometimes, it might not work other times. There's no cut and dry method. Um, but be willing to make changes and let people go. And also, I think one thing is letting people in. A lot of people make their friends and they say, well, I'm good. I don't need any more. Um, but who knows? Something could happen and things could change. So you just be, be willing to, this is where the self-reflection comes in and saying, I still care about this person. I'm still interested in giving effort to them. Um, is it reciprocated? And in your personal experience, um, what is, how do you treat your sort of inner circle? Do you, is it quite a close circle that you, and again, for someone in your position, um, you know, I imagine sometimes it's hard to know, you know, who's getting close to you for the right reasons or who may mm -hmm. be, you know, looking at, how this could benefit them how have you sort of navigated your closest circle and what qualities do, do you try to surround yourself with uh, i aim to surround myself with creative people like in general that's kind of my goal i think people that are willing to express themselves are also willing to do internal work to become the best versions of themselves sometimes that's true sometimes that's not true um, but ultimately i'm looking for people that I have shared interest in. I think that's typical for any human being. Um, as far as the, uh, the negative people or the people that might just be coming in to try to get something, doesn't matter who you are, where you are, there's, you know, sometimes people want things from other people and you have to determine what, like, I, at least in my case, I determine 
is is it mutually beneficial for us to be friends? And if you know, I can recognize right, right away that they want something from me, it might also be beneficial for me to want something from them. And in that case, it could be transactional. Um, this is something, you know, going back to the beginning of the conversation that Hollywood taught me. You see it in so many different shades and colors. And, you know, I put together a pretty good picture of what it looks like when someone's coming into my life for nefarious reasons. And I don't give too much energy to that. So just, I, you know, experience makes it all so clear, but you can't know until you've experienced it. So, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a fun game. I'll say that. A theme um, that seems to crop up a lot uh, in not only your work, but in sort of podcasts or interviews I've, I've listened to with yourself, um, this word destiny crops up. To mm. what extent do you think that our sort of individual fate is already decided? Is that a thing that you believe in? Or do you think it's fate is almost... Um, almost a string of infinite sort of choices we make. It's, it's a tough one to get your head around fate. What is your stance on it? For sure. So you could look forward at fate and say, this whole road is determined for me. Or you could look backwards and say that, oh, it looks like of all the choices I made, my fate was, uh, it led me to this point. I prefer a wider viewpoint, which is why this book is actually in the Amazon category, free will and determinism philosophy, um, a direct shot at Plato. I believe it was Plato who said you shouldn't mix poetry and philosophy. Mm. So I just wanted to give a, you know, a little cheeky <laughs> head rub to him on that one. But, um, I'm, you know, I'm under, I'm in the understanding that we live in a very multiversical multiverse type world mm. uh, where looking forward there's an infinite number of possibilities and it is i who determines that but it's up for me to speak with the man at the end of the road who is myself who is the the last page of the book that i know is me i know for a fact i had a birthday i know for a fact i had an end date so that guy is out there somewhere he's further down in the timeline than i am but he knows everything I've accomplished. So in my mind, I speak with that man and I ask him to look back and say, what was the best route we could have taken to make you the happiest that you could be? And that is my guiding force. That is my, well, at least I'll say one of my higher powers. I think he can be in communication with uh, the world around me. And, you know, after he passes over to the other side, whatever that might be, he is a, an infinite being attached not to time because there's nothing binding him to, uh, no, no gravity to bind him to this plane. And it's through that kind of communication that uh, the many fates that I might have can be really highlighted into one. And I do my best to proceed on that route. This is very interesting because you mentioned the, the, the beginning and the end there. There was um, a, uh, one of the poems you said, it's all life or death, but there's still the or. Something is in the middle. What is the or in your opinion? The all? Um, well, this this goes a little bit further than a a multiverse concept, I guess. I, I guess it it would be the container of imagine that my entire life is uh in oh boy. <laughs> I love trying to describe this. It's I know that my life, like I said, it has um it has a front page and it has an end page, front cover, back cover. So in that regard, someone might be able from a higher dimension might be able to pull my book out and look through the entire thing and on any page they could say this is going to happen to him and look down on me. But in that library, there are also an infinite number of books that contain an infinite number of possibilities of what it is that I can do. So they could pull out any of those books and say, this is what's going to happen. Mm. Yeah, this is, again, this is wild to get your head around. It's one of those concepts. And um, you, 
this idea of 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 life and death um there's a part on on death in this book and i wonder um it's a it's a very stoic practice is it marcus aurelius epictetus even the modern mm-hmm. stoics like orion holiday massimo pigliucci they all talk about the importance of sort of meditating on your own mortality mm-hmm. is that something that you are able to do because for a lot of people and i know a lot of people that love reading stoicism but this is the one they get stuck on because nobody likes the idea of facing their own mortality well, you can't say nobody. There's some people that like to dig into that. Mm. Um, I think it's one of the most universal truths. I mm. already said it twice, but there's a beginning and there's an end. And if you try to deny that there's an end, you're uh, lying to yourself about 50% of your own personal truth at the highest level. Um, that's one of the reasons why I put it in the book so that I can bring death into conversation in a light way. Um, I look at, you know, I'm looking outside through this window and I see a giant tree standing in front of me and I know that it took this tree its entire life to get that tall. And eventually one day it's going to fall. And when that tree falls, it'll be digested back into earth and it'll give all of its nutrients back to the planet around it. So I think, you know, from a high level viewpoint, that's exactly what's going to happen to me. Um, my resources will be dispersed to the world. My, my wealth, my knowledge, my everything will go back into it. And to deny deny myself of that concept denies myself of the power to think backwards in time from my, uh, from my last day, basically. Yeah. It's a very, it's a, it's a very tough one to, to try and meditate on, but I think it's very important. I personally have always struggled with it, but I tried with a friend, this practice, um, I heard about, where you write your own obituary and then you read it out mm. loud. And mm-hmm. the benefit of doing that, and that I, I do have it somewhere in this room, I keep it because when I wrote it and I read it back, the way I was describing myself was what the life I wanted, to, the impression I wanted to leave on the world. So I was writing things like, you know, he, he was a kind person, he was a generous person, you know, he, he was loving, um, he, he wanted to help other people. I wasn't writing. He had a million YouTube subscribers. He made this much money. He had this car. He had this house. Mm-hmm. And it really puts into perspective what is important in life. And so I think that in that sense, meditating on the end is very beneficial to finding out who you are and who you want to be. Yes. Because a lot of times we, you know, you, you mentioned you want to be generous, but a lot of times you might find that in your daily life, you aren't generous mm. um, or you aren't as generous as you'd like to be. I'm mm. sure you are very generous, uh, but it's, it is, that's an incredible practice. And to just sit with the idea of truly not existing is something that you, you can only see the, the last little bit. You can't really imagine what's on the other side. But it's a, a powerful practice to bring you back into this place and be grateful for what it is. And, you know, the Stoics want to remind people that time before us and time after us is so expansive that our little our little lifespans are but the blink of an eye or a single breath to God. Mm-hmm. So, you know, remember that, be grateful for it, and uh, don't take anything too seriously because all the material things, as you mentioned, YouTube channel, money, wealth – are going to wash away but your uh your personal energy is going to really be what people remember you as oh, beautifully said man and i won't put this practice on you because it's obviously something that takes a lot of time but oh i've already done it <laughs> so what are the so at so macklin's funeral what are the types of things that you would like to think are said about you um I, one of the sayings is always, you know, if, if he said it, he did it. Mm. I really, I really believe in, you know, if I said I was going to make this thing, I was going to do that thing. If I said I was going to be this person, I was that person. Um, it's a bit hard to go verbatim for exactly what I wrote, but it's, I think everybody kind of aims for the, the same thing. He lived a, a happy life. He brought joy and peace to others. Uh, his love was always felt when he was 
nearby and in in times of need when someone had to be there it was him so i've taken it upon myself to take this scenic route so that i can embody all those characteristics and not get so caught up in the the physical or numerical goals you gave the analogy of uh the tree falling um mm-hmm. and throughout this book you do mention trees and you know talk about uh, the trees pop the word tree pops up a lot mm-hmm. what is a when you look at a tree what does it symbolize what does it represent to you well, let me tell you, because I just wrote a new one about this. <laughs> Amazing. It is a, uh, this is a exclusive. This is from my free poems uh, experience where you basically submit a word to me and I write you an email back of the poem. Mm. Um, and it's pretty challenging, but this is called Time and Life and Death. Trees grow from a single seed. They spread their branches, their roots, and their offspring far and wide. Yet the trees never move their feet. They grow tall and strong, providing home, shelter, shade, and fruit to many other creatures nearby. Everything the trees need arrive directly to them. Eventually, eventually, after a life well lived, the structure of a tree must succumb to gravity. The earth happily catches the fallen body and shares the collected resources with the surrounding family. Thus is the human life. So in my mind, this tree grows, its branches spread far and wide. Those are all the possible uh, ways that we've extended our energy through the world. Um, Each branch being a major directive effort point. And the leaves are, you know, the more branches you grow, the more leaves you have. The leaves collect resources for the tree. That is the energy source. Um, Our leaves money, possibly um are you know what is this giant trunk if you if you're willing to dig deep and really strive to reach high in the sky your tree will grow very tall sometimes you get planted in bad soil and you have a hard time some some trees get cut down young sometimes we plant trees just to harvest sometimes you know there's an entire world and ecosystem living in one of these trees and other times it's a barren, desolate tree living in the middle of a field that no other trees are around. So take any of these and apply them to a human life, and you'll find that there are so many analogies and similarities. That is absolutely beautiful, man. And um, I think Plato was dead wrong. He took an L on that one. Who said you can't mix poetry with philosophy, man? That is absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. You... So on this theme of, of trees, there's a section all on nature. What does nature, not only what does nature mean to you, but mm-hmm. what does your own personal relationship look like with nature? I like to add the word mother nature in front of that. Okay. When I, you know, that's why I capitalize nature mm. in uh, all the writings. This is actually a practice that the existentialist poets used to do. Uh, I believe Whitman and Emerson and uh, Waldo, Ralph Waldo Emerson. What the hell is the other guy's name? Uh, anyway, these guys. I, I actually don't read much poetry, if I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> it's uh, not my favorite. But one of the things these guys talk about was the uh, the way that nature communicates with us and same thing with seeing these trees as I'm walking around, I might be asking myself a question and I can be, uh, illuminated to the answer by a, a bird landing in a tree by a seed being, you know, falling here and landing in a plot of mud, you name it, there might be some sort of answer that was, uh, coming up from the question that you were internally asking yourself. This is when going back to the conversation of consciousness, uh, matching the out- external stimulus with the internal uh, state is really valuable. There's a passage in this book where I talk about, you know, a, a tree limb falls as I uh, walk on this path, uh, or a tree limb falls as I question my thoughts, who, whose path am I next to cross? Just this idea of recognizing something happening external to me and how it matches up with, with what's happening 
to me. Is there an intelligence in nature that is making that tree fall? Is there a way to communicate through gravity? Is there a way to uh, have this earthly being, this creature that lives and breathes in the expanse of space that has been habitable for millions of years that is some form of intelligence that tells us and guides us and provides the answers for us? Uh, it's quite the meditation. My answer is yes, which is why in the book, I also say, uh, be open to omens and commit to decisions. So recognize there's things happening around you that are actually happening for you and commit. <laughs> you recommend keeping a garden. I wonder if you meant that in the literal sense or you meant it metaphorically. Up to interpretation. <laughs> do you keep a literal garden, personally? Currently, I do not. I, I have an apartment right now. I don't really have the... Pretty uh, hard then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty hard, but um, in the future, I will. I, w I used to work in a greenhouse, and I just know that raising plants and taking care of something that uh, you know, I wanted to see yield a, a product or product or produce uh, was very powerful. Same with the business. Gardens are just like a business and um, it's the most fundamental human way to keep yourself alive. Because you did your degree in botany, am I right? That's correct. How did you find yourself in, in that situation? That's quite a niche one. Yeah, I, I wish I knew. I, I started working at the greenhouse when I was in college. I was a sophomore. I loved the opportunity. At the time I was studying computer science and it simply wasn't scratching the itch. I've always had a, a passionate interest for the natural world. Um, the information came easily to me. I recognized uh, that I was interested in it. I also had a vision for myself to own and operate a vineyard winery. It's still on the list of things I'd like to accomplish. Um, so getting a basis in that information was really helpful. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a good experience. I, <laughs> I, I wish I had an easier, like a different thing. I just, I mm -hmm. saw it. I liked it, changed my major and said, all right, I'm a, a botanist now. And did that come to serve you? Because you lived on an island at one point, right? That's correct. I'm actually, uh, about to be heading out here soon to head out, head out there. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's going to be. Uh, a glorious return. I'm bringing a special guest with me and she's never been there. I can't wait to bring her. So that'll be fun. But yes, I spent a lot of my childhood, summer times, fall on a small island in Lake Erie. And it has forever changed me. That is what has shown me a very simple life with, uh, you know, the only things really to do are be a kid, go have fun, play outside and isolate yourself from the world around you because when you are when you're on an island the, you know the italian spanish word isola isole you uh you are isolated from the world i believe that's latin as well probably but either way you're isolated and once again it allows for internal reflection to see what the hell's going on in your own life and whilst you were sort of on this i you began to sort of find sustainable ways to, I think you were making soap at one point, right? Uh, yeah, that was, that was more of a entrepreneurial testing ground. Okay. Uh, I wanted to see what it would be like to start a business. I saw a niche in the market, uh, up there, you know, handcraft goods, artisan goods made some awesome soap. It was, uh, kind of a, a callback to what we do on the island lakes clear why not just wash off in the lake so i made a company called lake bath soap and that was truly my first endeavor at being a an entrepreneur a business owner someone who's going to go through all the steps to go do the branding make a commercial do the website manage sales shipping all that stuff it's interesting that you are a person that is obviously very mindful very reflective very spiritual yet very entrepreneurial at the same time 
how do those worlds collide and how does one sort of help the other? Well, I can say that, you know, the self-reflection thing, I, what I'm often seeking is creating solutions to problems that I might have, because I know the, di the deeper I dig into myself, the more relatable it'll be to everyone else, which is the, a major theme throughout the entire book. I, I dug very deep. I pulled these things out. I share them with everyone and they seem to have something that they can relate to. Um, so my goal in life is to continue to make either, whether it's products or ideas or buildings or um, creative experiences, whether that's art or uh, exhibitions that can improve the quality of life for other people based on my own internal desire. So I know, like I said, if I have this internal desire, it can be enjoyed by others. And then to further that, I know that to run these things, it needs, you need money. Mm. So you got to figure out how to monetize these things. You got to figure out how to, um, make a, make a living so I can continue to do exactly what I'm doing and continue to go down this road of making more things for people to, uh, have this own, have their own internal reflection. I know we don't have time for that kind of stuff. So at least give it, give an opportunity or create some sort of reminder for people to do their own personal care. Yeah. And you, um, sustainability is something that's clearly of, of interest to you. And I think mm -hmm. it, it goes hand in hand with your create creativity as well. Um, I th think I remember hearing you talk about, you know, all these very creative ideas you would try out, you would try, um, I think you were talking about maybe tie dyeing clothes with coffee or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. All these sort yeah. of very creative ideas. Why is um, sustainability so well, of, of so interest you and, and how far does that go? Are you, do you, do you see yourself as like very far down that road or just sort of experimenting and seeing what works for you personally? I'd say at the moment I've thought very far down the road, but currently I'm just experimenting with different things, clothing, yeah. dye, different type of recycled papers, different type of recycled products. I don't enjoy waste. Um, I don't like to leave a giant pile of crap everywhere I go. So I like to take what I make and then use the scraps and to hopefully make something else. Um, and I, I think that goes for many industries. I think there's probably a ton of ways where we could recycle the byproducts or use whatever came off the line that wasn't properly produced and turn it into something else. Um, so it's just, you know, same thing as the natural world. Anything that falls to the ground is going to be consumed and, uh, turned into something else through the, the natural life cycle and then the water cycle as nutrients get passed around. Mm -hmm. Atoms, the, you know, the entire world is made of atoms. All these atoms get recycled and turned into other things. So why not try to take that into literal terms with every little thing I do? I wonder, we've talked a lot about um, sort of philosophical ideas. We've, you know, we've touched on stoicism. We've got very spiritual. How would you, mm -hmm. if you could, how would you define your sort of own personal philosophy because i think it's very hard to put a label on it um you seem to you know you you seem to be very open-minded in in taking a look at sort of every type of philosophy and 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 taking what you know bits here and there and sort of forming your own sort of personal philosophy is is there a way you would define it um just to use words we've already used i'd be i'd say poetic stoic mm. um don't take anything to abruptly don't be you know don't react don't overreact you can react but uh um just really taking a good hard look at everything and knowing that it's not always what it seems uh there's a, a fun thing i know i keep talking about trees but uh there's a conversation i don't, don't remember where i heard it but you look outside i pointed a tree and i say hey can you see that whole tree and you say yes of course i can see that whole tree but what you forget is that there's a million other angles of which you could see that tree from so my personal philosophy on life is be simple be honest be true be good and allow for allow time for things to run its course because you know tomorrow's a new day and the present moment changes rapidly so to 
I don't know what I want to say is to get frustrated about things. It's not in my, not in my wheelhouse. Um, but I, I strive for a good life. I strive to increase the, again, the amount of peace, love, and joy in the people around me. And as long as I'm doing that, I'm, I'm doing good. I think anyone listening or watching or who has read your work would agree that you seem to have a good level of stillness um, to -hmm. you in the way I I can see the way you're answering. Every time I ask a question, you you sort of take a breath, you pause for thought. I can see you think deeply about things. And even in, in the book, you say at the start, you encourage people to take a breath before and after reading each poem. Um, Mm -hmm. I spoke to us, a religious author named John Butler, and I asked him about the concept of stillness and what it meant. And he said that it it had, you can't really define stillness. It it has no meaning. It has no description. It just is. Would you agree with that? Yes. Newton's law of, uh, rest, Hmm. but it's, it, there's so many, I think this goes in the Zen category. So many of these people have talked about uh, still water typically is the clearest. So, you know, when the waters get turned up, it, it gets a little murky at times because you're moving stuff up, 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 up off the bottom. Um, and then once you seek and find stillness, the waters tend to clear up and you can see all the way through and the light gets to every single uh, inch of that body of water. And our bodies are 70 some percent water. So we should probably... Uh, make light of that on this theme of stillness and you just mentioned it there about um you mentioned uh, uh conflict and the the way that you deal with conflict um i remember um i think it was in one of your final episodes on impulsive where there was a little mm-hmm. bit of conflict between you and the other co-host of the show sure. and I, I remember th- i remember being in awe at the time of how you dealt with the situation because a lot of people could have been dragged into an argument there and you had this sort of mindful uh, presence about you where you managed to just keep this level of of calm of of level-headedness you were you were mindful and Mm -hmm. you had this discussion without it having to come to shouting to get your point across and you know any sort of criticism or joke you seem to just let sort of brush off you and then you would get your point across i thought it was absolutely Mm -hmm. amazing and i've watched that a couple of times because i remember thinking i want to be more like this Mm -hmm. what is your sort of approach to handling conflict and conflict resolution because if anyone can find that video i would point them towards it because i think it's an exceptional example Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's important to know that some people get irate and they start saying things they don't necessarily mean and that as soon as you start raising your voice you're really not uh, coming across with your fullest of compassion and it's it's my thing to absorb dissolve and possibly reflect the most distilled version of what I think is the truth that they're trying to express to me and then in my response, I'm responding with my personal truth. So uh, it's not easy. It's uncomfortable at times if someone's coming at you and uh, you you want to stand up for yourself. But I think there's ways to be uh, very firm and understand that some people just don't have good emotional control. And once you know that, it's uh, it's okay and you let them go for it and you go. The uh, last question I'll ask you, I ask every guest on the show who comes on um and this can be anything it can be your family it can be your work whatever but right now for macklin what makes life worth living right now i have an empty canvas in front of me i released a book i've been working on for five years i have no projects no projects in the works i have nothing on the slate um, the thing that is making my life worth worth living is figuring out what it is I'm going to paint next. So 
we've talked a lot about the book today we've talked a lot about your work your art today for anyone listening now who isn't already familiar where can we direct them to where can we point them towards how can they connect with you well i know i mentioned i want to delete my instagram but uh, check out my instagram which is at macklin m-a-c-l-i-n and from there you'll find a link to the book that we've discussed this whole time and my website has good amount of information about all my other projects i've worked on amazing man thank you so much for your time today i could I honestly i could talk to you for hours i think you're a fascinating uh, human being you brought a lot of insight to the show i really appreciate it it's been worth the wait my friend thank you so much for having me thanks for following up i really appreciate it it's great